Section 5 of Modern Russian Literature by D. S. Mirsky. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 5. Poets The Victorian age in England was an eclectic age, an age of compromise. The contemporary period in Russia was, on the whole, of a different character. It was rather an age of extremes, both in politics and in art. The nihilists, Dostoevsky, Mussorgsky, or a reactionary statesman like Pobedanostsev were not at all, quote-unquote, Victorian figures. But there was just one province where the Victorian tendency was distinctly apparent, and this was poetry. The Russian poets of the mid-nineteenth century sought for a compromise between the conflicting forces in and about them, between the rights of poetical imagination and the hard facts of science, between quote-unquote pure art and social utilitarianism, between romanticism and realism. With two exceptions, Fett and Nekrasov, who stand out as extremes, the poets of the period are eclectic and quote-unquote Victorian. And of all the prose writers, Turgenev, the most poetical, is also the most quote-unquote Victorian. There are, however, important points of differences between Victorian poetry in England and in Russia. The chief of these is that in England the Victorian age was a golden age, if not of genius, at least of poetical culture. The level of poetical craftsmanship was very high during the period that begins with Tennyson and ends with Swinburne. In Russia, on the contrary, there was a distinct falling off from the high level of the preceding age. A low and constantly sinking level of poetical culture is characteristic of the Russian quote-unquote Victorians. As a rule, the later the date of a poet's birth, the less chance is there of his having written good verse, and the older he grew, the worse he wrote. The most popular and least questioned poet of the time was Apollon Maikov, 1821-1897. He satisfied the taste of the average Russian poetry reader for cheap ideas, tame picturesqueness, and mild realism. Another typical eclectic was Yakov Petrovich Polonsky, 1819-1898, an infinitely more attractive poet who succumbed to the low poetic culture of the times and to the desire of expressing modern ideas. His best work is charming, at once romantic and homely, a world of sweet music and dimly colored horizons. He has a simplicity and truth in the expression of sentiment which makes him a worthy heir to Lermontov and Pushkin. But his good work would occupy but a few dozen pages out of the five volumes of his collected poems. A more interesting and independent figure was Count Alexei Tolstoy, 1817-1875. He was a distant cousin of the great novelist, and a personal friend, he had been a playfellow, of the Emperor Alexander II. He wrote lyrics, ballads, narrative poems, dramas, which I have mentioned in the preceding chapter, and historical romance, parodies, humorous satires, and even genuine nonsense verse. In these last categories, he is absolutely supreme among Russian writers, 
and his Dream of Popov and the works he attributed to the imaginary civil servant Kosma Prutkov are an inexhaustible mine of pure fun. He had a good ear for the sound of words, and some of his historical ballads would well answer to Mr. Chesterton's description of Macaulay's Armada as a, quote, good geographical map gone mad, end quote. But he also wrote in the purest, quote-unquote, Tennysonian and idealist style. Some of his shorter lyrics are as fresh and pure as drops of rain hanging from a flower. No one ever spoke better than he did of rain and dew and sunlight and the freshness that comes after a thunderstorm. His paraphrase of the lament used in the Orthodox service for the dead is one of the noblest pieces of religious poetry produced in the 19th century. He was not an eclectic in the sense of submitting to any external compromise, but he was a man of the golden mean of harmony and taste, as he was a moderate liberal in politics. The quote-unquote extreme right in poetry is occupied by Afanasy Afanasyevich Fett, 1820-1892. After 1877, he took the name of Shenshin, the champion of quote-unquote pure art and of the eternal rights of the poet. He was in private life a selfish and successful businessman. He devoted most of his life to raising the revenue of his estates. He was the intimate friend of Leo Tolstoy, who valued his talent very highly, and who, it will be remembered, also devoted a period of his life to the aggrandizement of his rural fortune. There was in fact a singular contrast between the man and the poet. He consciously cultivated it and advisedly lived a double life. Poetry, he said, was a mountain country, and in its rarefied atmosphere it was impossible to live permanently. It was a sanctuary, not a home. His poetry is purely lyrical, the essence of the lyrical element. In the 60s, the radical critics who attacked old poetry hooted him down, and he disappeared from literature for 20 years, to reappear only for a short time before his death. His early poetry, 1840 to 1860, is what has since come to be called impressionistic. It is nature and love poetry. The most characteristic lyrics are curiously anticipative of Verlaine and the French symbolists. But Fett was fundamentally sane, and his poetry is in the major key. In his nature worship, he was not so much a pantheist as a pagan. This early poetry is strikingly original and entitles him to a place among the four or five greatest Russian poets. His later poetry is more severe. It breathes the quote-unquote rarefied atmosphere he loved to speak of. It is pure poetry, without a single drop of non-poetry in it, and like pure gold, is somewhat difficult to handle. It may almost be compared with the quote-unquote pure poetry of Mallarmé, but a rural, country gentlemanly and very Russian Mallarmé. At the other extreme stands the powerful figure of Nikolai Alexeyevich Nekrasov, 
1821-1877. He was and is the impersonation of civic poetry. He came from a family of provincial gentry, but early left his father's house and started out in life on his own account in St. Petersburg. He was successful. By 1846 he was the editor and part proprietor of the Sovremennik Contemporary, which he made the most influential Russian periodical, and the rallying ground of all that was best in literature. After 1856 it became more exclusively radical, and Nikrasov the head of the left wing of Russian literature. He was idolized by the radical youth of the 60s and 70s and detested by the quote-unquote aesthetic school. Even Turgenev maintained that quote, poetry had never as much as passed a night in Nekrasov's verse, end quote. Only recently has he finally been recognized as a great and unquestioned poet, not because of the civic character and revolutionary spirit of his work, but because of its originality and vigor. Nekrasov's poetry is not of the conventional Victorian type. He studiously avoided prettiness even at the risk of forfeiting beauty. His verse is often an amalgam of rhetoric and vulgarity, which makes it dangerously like journalism, for he boldly introduced the crudest prose diction into the sacrosanct precinct of the muse but he had great power over all the sterner forms of satire, from bitter sarcasm to lyrical invective. A splendid specimen of the latter is the quote-unquote elegy, Home, so admirably translated into English by Professor Elton. His love poetry is entirely original, which is free from all idealization and has for its principal subject his quarrels with his mistress, on the other hand, his poetry for children is for its homely, familiar humor as unique in its way as Alexei Tolstoy's nonsense verse. The central nerve of Nikrasov's poetry is his adoration of the people. It attains to mythological proportions in the wonderful poem Frost the Red-Nosed, where the Russian peasant and peasant woman are painted on a truly Homeric scale. He was the only Russian poet to understand and to adopt with success the forms of the Russian popular song. His two masterpieces are developments, on original lines, of popular forms. One of these, The Peddlers, a story of peasant life told in a rapid and exhilarating folk ballad style. The other is Who Lives Happily in Russia, a vast epic, satirical, humorous, and realistic. It gives a broad picture of post-reform Russia over which the seven peasants wander in quest of the happy Russian. It is a masterpiece of verbal felicity and a great achievement of realistic poetry. Nekrasov was immensely popular but had next to no influence on the development of Russian poetry. His so-called disciples, the quote-unquote civic poets of radicalism, had not nerve enough to adopt his drastic and ungenteel methods. They preferred to wallow in mawkish sentiment expressed in helpless verse. Such is the poetry of Natsun, 1862-1887, the idol of the intelligentsia of thirty and forty years ago. 
In the generation that followed that of Nekrasov and Fett, the art of poetry reached its low watermark, chiefly owing to the utter decline of craftsmanship. The partisans of art for art's sake were as poor as the civic poets. The secret of writing verse was lost, and even if a poet of genius happened to be born in that age, he was incapable of expressing himself otherwise than in a stammer. Such was the case of Konstantin Sluchevsky, 1837-1904, a poet of great possibilities, who seemed capable of creating a truly modern poetry. It would have given expression to a vast and original pluralistic conception of the universe, but he failed because he had no tongue to speak with. End of section 5